0: Today's scripture reading comes from Proverbs chapter 1 verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. The beginning of knowledge. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness and justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Do me a quick favor, I want you to go ahead and we're going to begin by just closing our eyes for just a second, okay? And I want you to think back to the beginning of 2018. The ball is dropping in Times Square. of you, are all those goals ahead of you, are all of these great desires you have for 2018, it seems like the possibilities are endless, your hopes could become reality, these big dreams, these plans that you've made for, for the year are all in front of you. It seems like everything, everything you, you, you possibly could want to plan has the possibility to, to come to fruition open your eyes. Here we are, September 16th, <laughs> almost three quarters of the year through. And the year's almost done. And before you know it, another year will be right behind you. When you think back to all those plans, those hopes, those dreams you had on January 1st, and you think about today, is your life where you'd hoped it'd be today? Is your life where you hoped it'd be today? You know, all those New Year's resolutions, have they stuck or do you feel stuck? <laughs> do, you, do you feel like you're what you'd want to be, who you'd want to be is your life, where you'd hoped it would be today? And if you're anything, if you're anything like me at all, that's not an easy question to answer because we've all had those fits and starts those ups and downs. We've all had moments of success, and of course, failure. But then the fall comes, and the fall comes with this unique opportunity. There's something about this season, the fall, that comes with this unique opportunity to start afresh. You know, it's after Labor Day, right? Um, I can't. I guess you can't wear white pants anymore. Sorry. Uh, you know, supposedly that's the rule. Some of them don't live. And some people don't live according to those rules. So it's late after Labor Day. The heat is about to break. You know, the leaves are already starting to change a little bit. Um, and there's something about the fall. I mean, all of the, the schedules with school and work and even things here around kind of us as a church gathered, they start to pick back up again. And, and the, I've heard, you know, someone say the lazy, hazy, and crazy days of summer with their lack of organization and kind of schismatic rhythms are behind you and the fall provides this opportunity to restart but the question comes how do we restart and how do we restart smart that's the question we're going to be asking over the next 7 weeks together and Really, the question is even more pointed for us this morning when we're asking not just how do we restart smart, but where do we start this restart? And there's a, there's a lot of different perspectives out there on what are some good first steps forward, right? A lot of people would say, well, before you take any step forward, you need to get a lot of advice. Um, and, and, and in one way, that's good advice. <laughs> but the question remains, what is good advice for you? What is right advice? And how do you avoid... Bad advice, because there's tons of bad advice out there. And even as I was just thinking about starting this teaching series this week, I started doing a lot of research on the bad advice out there, which there's tons. Um, There's even a whole hashtag, hashtag bad advice, and even kind of polled some people on Facebook and heard a lot of bad advice. And so I figured, why not? I'll give you my five worst words of advice to kind of start us off, my top five. If anybody gives you this advice... Run for the hills. Uh, don't, don't listen to them, okay? So here you go. The number five worst uh, words of advice that anybody could give you is, if no one comes from the future to stop you from doing it, how bad can it be? Um, if you're engaging science fiction for your life, you're, you're in deep trouble. Run from that person if they say that. Number four, want to make things happen faster? Don't ask. Threaten. Um, <laughs> That's great advice if you want to end a relationship, um, not if you want to keep one going. Uh, number three, when life gives you lemons, chuck them at someone. <laughs> don't, don't do that, uh, OK? Number two, this is my personal favorite, uh, don't smell it, just eat it really fast. <clears throat> terrible, terrible advice. The, the sense of smell is God's gift to protect your mouth. Um, <laughs> Trust your senses on that one. And then the number one worst word of advice actually came from somebody on my Facebook video. Don't mind the bee. If you leave it alone, it will leave you alone. <laughs> not true. I have been stung way too many times by bees that I was not bothering. Um, and yet they seem to have a vendetta against me, um, like this poor chap. Anyway, um, listen, there's a lot of uh, advice out there. There's a lot of crazy advice that we take, and it's astounding how many people take bad advice. But why do we do this? Why do we reach out for advice? Why do we take bad advice? Here's why, because we're just, we're desperate. We're desperate to get our lives on the right track. We're desperate to live the life we really long to live, and yet we come back to that question, are we where we'd hoped we would be today when you think back to January 1st, and yet here we are, right? Right? So how do we restart smart? What we need, what we really need if we want to restart smart is is more than advice. What we need is wisdom. And not just wisdom that someone has tried for the past few years and they say it's worked in this particular segment of society. No, what we need is wisdom that's lasted thousands of years, that has actually spanned and engaged various cultures. We We need to learn to see from someone who sees things more fully who sees the world more, more robustly? What we need in order to restart smart is God's wisdom. Because in God's wisdom, we find unbelievable, untold insight to the world broadly. If you wanna know how to you know, garner success and even know how to define success well and, and see it last for the long haul, you find it in God's wisdom. If you wanna know how to make lasting relationships, to build lasting relationships, and to see them so that they're there when you need them, when you feel like you have nobody else, you need God's wisdom. When you want to know how to grow your wealth, maybe not have the same wealth as other people, but how to navigate the resources God has entrusted to you to grow it wisely over time. You need God's wisdom. How do you become someone who's whole and has this internal peace? You, you need God's wisdom. Jesus says what? You, you can't, you know, what does what it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Wisdom says you might even be able to have both, but if you can't, know which one to choose. We need God's wisdom. And listen, there's all these things that are available to us in the world, but what's so astounding to me is that God's wisdom is really available to anyone who has ears to hear. And over the next seven weeks, we're gonna be walking through the ancient wisdom of Proverbs and seeing how it's just as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. And even if you're here this morning and you would say, Gabe, you know what, even as I answer that question, because I'm sure there's someone here who'd say, you know what, as I think about where I'd hoped my life would be today, it's actually not too far off. I think I'm doing pretty good. Don't be satisfied with, pre- with pretty good, because actually wisdom says there's even something better than pretty good. Where do we start? We're going to start with wisdom. And we're going to start by looking at what wisdom is. Okay, this is important. Definitions are crucial. Categories are helpful. But then secondly, not just what wisdom is, but where we start this whole journey to begin with in wisdom. Okay, so let's first look together at what wisdom is. And I need all of your help to kind of begin this. So I want you to do something you never thought you'd hear a pastor say. Everybody pull out your smartphones uh, for a second. Um, Now, I'm going to anticipate that you're participating and what we're about to describe rather than checking your email, but you could totally fool me, and that's fine. Um, Here's what I need your help with. I'm going to ask a series of questions, about three, and I need you to look them up on your web browser, whatever one you like. This is not about pushing a web browser on anybody, okay? But looking it up on your web browser, and then I want you to shout out the answer once you find it, okay? So here you go. Here's your first question. I need your help. I need participation. Don't be shy, all right? So first question. When was Albert Einstein born? First person who gets it. When was Albert Einstein born? March 14, 1879. Woo, there you go. Way to go. Nice. Okay, next. I need you to solve this equation for me. And the answer will pop up on the screen if you're still curious and you're like, what was it? Um, It's up (laughs) on the screen behind me. I want you to solve this equation for me. 4,684 times 2,365. What's the solution? Carl, right on the money. Way to go. Brilliant. (laughs) We got folks up in the leather chairs doing it. This is marvelous. Oh, my goodness. All right. So uh, now, listen, there's the more questions you answer, the more chance you get to sit in one of those leather chairs. Uh, (laughs) Leanne's shaking her. She's not giving up her chair. Um, Third question, what's the melting temperature of iron? Melting temperature of iron. Charlie, great guess, but that's right. Wow, way to go. You know, that was really close. I mean, you're only off 800 degrees Fahrenheit. It's also, I would have also taken 1,538 degrees Celsius if you were from across the pond, okay? Um, All right, so now, thank you for participating. Here's the deal, here's the deal. What we often think of when we think of someone being smart in life is someone who can recall or access information quickly when needed, right? And and when we're not careful, sometimes we can even jump to the assumption that that's what wisdom is, is recalling or having access to information on the dot right there in the moment. And that can become the sum total definition of what we think wisdom is. But here's the deal. Wisdom is more than just information, If we think that wisdom is just information, what do we do? We spend our lives then thinking that we just need to study algorithms. What are the patterns in life that prove or lead to predictable success, or maybe if it's not algorithms we study, then we're trying to get more information before others because then we can tap into a market that leads to greater success before other people tap into that market, or maybe we think, oh, it's just looking at the success stories of others and trying to inhabit, learn their best practices and embody them so that we too can have the same sort of wisdom that they, and that's all good, but it's just that wisdom is more than that. You see, if wisdom is just about information, then we're in, a, we're in deeper trouble than we realize because here's the deal. We are in an information-rich age. Information is more readily available, available to more people than it has ever been available before. And yet, more people are playing the fool than ever before. Here's the deal. This is why this is so important. We need to understand what wisdom is. And what we need to understand is that wisdom is deeper than just information. Wisdom is deeper than just information. And that means that the answer to foolishness is more than just more information. We see this actually, if you go to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12, we read, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Now you have two different people, they have the same information, but two different outcomes. Here's why. Wisdom is more than just information. You can't just Google wisdom and find all the sum total parts of wisdom right there in your Google response. You can't go to YouTube and find a how-to video as if you were trying to insert, you know, a new transmission into your car, which don't do that, it's really hard. Um, That's a card issues this last week. That's why that illustration's really powerful for me. Um, maybe not for you. You're like, what are you talking about? No, so that's anyway, so wisdom, it's never less than information, but it's just so much deeper than just information. Okay? Now another assumption we often make about wisdom, and, and religious folks are really good about making this assumption about wisdom, is that it is just making the right decision in a morally complex situation. What we often mean by morality. You know, we can often think that wisdom is just choosing fairness always or being true to your commitments or making commitments to the right things, being a person of integrity. And listen, wisdom is not, not that. It's just more. Wisdom is more than that. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. Um, some of you wish you had a mug with that on there uh, to kind of uh, kind of shake at someone at your office in the morning. And some of you may think that's very moral, um, but that's not about morality. It's, not, it's actually a very amoral, but it's a smart move forward in navigating relationships rather than a moral uh, decision in life. And this is what we need to understand. Wisdom isn't just deeper than information. It's also wider than just morality. And that wisdom encompasses and engages every aspect of our lives, every nook and cranny. Wisdom is deeper than information, and it's wider than morality. It's both including those elements, but it's just deeper and wider than them. So what is wisdom? What is wisdom? If it's deeper than information and just accumulating more information and it's wider than just morality, what is wisdom? It has everything to do with a really important Hebrew word, chokhmah. Say chokhmah. Oh, now that your throat is cleared, you should be good for the day to have a conversation later. Now chokhmah. Chokhmah. Very good. Yeah, chokhmah. Now chokhmah is the Hebrew word often translated wisdom, often, not always, but translated wisdom In our English Bibles. And it is the word for wisdom right here in our text in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2. Hochma is kind of it's it's the brilliant design behind everything. Say everything. It's more than just information, it's more than just morality, it's the brilliant design, it's how everything comes together behind everything. It's more than just life hacks on how to navigate. The, lo- the, the world in which we find ourselves. It's, it's much more how and when and where to take the right step in the contours of God's world where you're aware of the mountaintops and the valleys and the rivers and how to do so as you're strolling through life. Wisdom is less a science and it's much more an art. And yet it isn't without boundaries as we'll come to see a little bit later. Wisdom the best way I've heard wisdom defined and the way that scripture lays out wisdom, especially with this hochmah kind of broader, bigger picture of wisdom behind it, all the best way to understand wisdom is that wisdom is the skillful art of living in God's world. It's this the skill that actually can be cultivated, but it's much more an art in learning how to live in God's world. It's much more an ability than it is just information. It's applying that knowledge in a specific way. It's an ability, but it's also an awareness of the various contours of God's world and how He's designed it and how to live into it. And one of the first places we actually see this play out is in the book of Exodus, chapter 31. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and there God is instructing Moses, Moses, on how to build this tent, often called the tabernacle, where God's unique presence will come to dwell with his people. As, and, and he'll carry out his will through this unique way on earth as it is in heaven because God has always been about reuniting with humanity and blessing the world through humanity. And so he, he, he says, Moses, I'm going to bring together some craftsmen, some who have this unique ability, which is, interestingly enough, our word Right here. Exodus chapter 31. Let's look together. Verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability, and intelligence, with knowledge in all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze. and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood. To work in every craft. Hochma isn't just more information. It isn't just making morally uh, good decisions. It encompasses all of life. It's skillfully living in God's world in this artistic way that understands the unique dynamics of every context in which we find Ourselves, wisdom. And when wisdom becomes the guiding framework in every facet of your life, finances, relationships, you know, justice we see is all over the wisdom literature, sexuality, intimacy, connection. I mean, and, and you could go on and on, fill in the blank. Whenever wisdom becomes the primary framework, in which we see the world, the way in which God's designed it and we live within His bounds, then we find ourselves not just walking in step but walking in harmony with God in His world as He's designed it to work. This is wisdom. And interestingly enough, wisdom shows up more in three books in the Bible than any other books in the Bible. And they're often dubbed the wisdom literature. The three books are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to lean into Proverbs and seek to find the key to unlock wisdom in your life and mine. But I I want to be very clear, okay? This key we're going to come to discover, just to kind of give us some orientation to Proverbs, isn't just in the specific genre or type of literature called a proverb. The proverb is kind of like a short saying with distilled wisdom. But it's much more diverse than that, even in the book Proverbs. It's called Proverbs in verse 1, but it has all these different styles and genres. If you look in uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 6, you see wise sayings. You see uh, 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 not only wise sayings, but you see these pictures of wisdom that are presented. And, of course, there are Proverbs. You have these different avenues in which the author of Proverbs is seeking to present wisdom in all of its beauty and seek to convince you and I that life with wisdom is worth chasing after, that wisdom is beckoning us, come, come. There may be things that aren't, you know, moral decisions of right and wrong, but here's the wise way to do it. And if you chase after wisdom, it's going to be so much better than being apathetic to wisdom and so playing the fool, which ultimately leads to destruction. The author of Proverbs is beckoning every single person to come and to learn. As we read in verses 2 through 6, come to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance." To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, and their riddles. But even in the midst of all of that, I don't want anyone to think that as we begin this journey that Proverbs is somehow just going to present to us these cold equations of cause and effect. That's not it. That if you just figure out the formula. Listen, life is too complex for formulas, isn't it? It's way too complex for just this equals that. There's too many unique nuances in your life and mine for it to just be about formulas. That's why Proverbs is not called promises. They're less laws as much as they are probabilities. Statistically, over time, even over thousands of years, more often than not, there's a large percentage of options that this is going to be true than not true. A great example is if you go to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. Proverbs 21, verse 5. We read The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who's hasty comes only to poverty. Now, there are some within what is called the broader prosperity gospel movement who would say 100% of the time, this is an unbelievable promise that if you are diligent in your work, you will have, no second guessing, you will have abundance. And if you're hasty with your plans, no second guessing, this is a promise, you will end in poverty. And on the broader spectrum, on the majority of cases, yes, this is true. But there are also plenty of situations where those who are very diligent don't end in abundance, who work extraordinarily hard and wouldn't define their lives as ones with abundance. And then there are those who seem to be very hasty and yet simultaneously seem to have a mass amounts of wealth. You know, a great example of this proverb not being 100% a promise, but a probability is the story of Job. Another voice in the wisdom literature, right? I mean, he, was, he had this inordinate amount of wealth and then it all came crashing down, lost almost all of his family. Was it because he didn't have enough faith? Was it because he wasn't diligent enough? Was it because he was somehow immoral? No, actually, contrary to the case, we read the book of Job and we find out it's because he was righteous, <laughs> which is another story for another day. <laughs> but what we come to see is that these aren't promises their proverbs. And this, what's so crucial here is if we understand that wisdom isn't just information, nor is it just morality, but it's this broader, you know, skillfully um, living in God's world, the art of skillfully living in God's world. What what the wisdom literature wants to provide to you and to me more than anything else is that wisdom offers a who more than a set of what's. Wisdom offers a who more than a set Of what's who can walk with us through the contours and the uniquenesses of our life, and that who is of of course God Himself. If you go to Proverbs chapter three, verses nineteen and twenty, we read brilliantly that the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth; by understanding, He established the heavens; by His knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds drop down the dew. From the very beginning, God creates everything with wisdom. Wisdom is God's attribute. And the way that we grow in wisdom is by walking with Him and learning from Him. Not just memorizing a bunch of formulas that we can plug and play in different situations. But it's about walking with Him learning from him. Wisdom offers a who more than a series of what's. And what's so important, just as an aside, as we see here in verse 19, the Lord, you see that in all caps. We're going to see that pop up again and again throughout the book of Proverbs. Just as an aside, whenever you see the Lord in all caps, that's shorthand for God's personal name, Yahweh. This isn't just any old God that you want to, you know, slap up there. Any God who's defined himself any any old way. No, this is the Lord Yahweh, the one who's revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who has worked through the nation of Israel and then finds his culmination in Jesus Christ and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is this particular God who has the attribute of wisdom who now beckons us to come to walk with him to learn with him and what it means to navigate the contours of his world through his eyes. And he's made it available to anyone who will enter this relationship with him. This is why it's so important. Back to the text that was read for us. Proverbs starts the way it does. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. It's a particular God and also a very particular person. So we've got a particular God, Yahweh, and a particular person, Solomon. This is so important. Solomon is seen as kind of like the fountainhead of all wisdom for Israel. And you know why? Because in this really dynamic moment, after God had made a promise to David that his throne will never know any end and that there will be an heir that sits on the throne for eternity, which we come to see as Jesus Christ later, but his son Solomon who comes right afterwards. God comes to Solomon and says, if you want anything, I'll give it to you. What do you want? And Solomon says, wisdom. God, who is all wise, shares his wisdom with Solomon. And he makes it readily available to anyone who will ask, who will come with ears to hear, who long to know him for who he is. Which is why, when you get to James chapter 1, verse 5, we read now, especially in Jesus if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him or her ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him or her. God wants to give us this wisdom. It's found in him. It's not in just these isolated principles. It's found in relationship with him, which are revealed, of course, in the principles of Proverbs. And he's willing to give it. He's willing to share it. But how do we approach him? How do we begin? Where, how do we start this relationship? Where do we start this journey of wisdom? And where we start is much more with a posture rather than a practice, And it comes to a head right here in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Look with me. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord, remember that's Lord in all caps again, Yahweh, is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom always starts with fear. Now, in Western culture, fear kind of gets a bad rap, um, <laughs> you know, but fear is actually a really healthy response in a lot of ways, right? Fear tells you don't get too close to the edge or you'll fall off and die. Like fear says don't tackle a lion um, for <laughs> obvious reasons, right? Like fears was like, oh, that could be awful. I'm going to stay away from that. Like fear is a really good and helpful kind of perspective on a lot of things and, life. and so when we come to approach God, we start actually with fear. Now, I know there's a pushback to this as well. Like some would say, hey, I understand that fear is the beginning of knowledge, but love is the end. Isn't that what Jesus was about, abolishing all this fear stuff? And it's just about this love and compassion stuff. And I'd say, well, yes and no. And we come to understand this yes and this no by understanding the complexity of fear. And actually, it's on display brilliantly in the Hebrew Scriptures. There are two predominant words for fear. There are no perfect synonyms, right? There are no perfect synonyms. And these two words have unique distinctions. The first word for fear is often translated dread, okay? Dread. Now, it's also known in Hebrew as pachad. Yeah, that's another one of those gutturals. Uh, dread. And it's the idea that you have placed yourself in a position against God's just wrath because you have furthered cycles of destruction in his world. As a just God, he has every right and actually has an obligation to carry out Justice. And dread means when you've ignored his contours of his world, now you're waiting the downfall. We see that this is obliterated when we begin to walk with God. We see that this is annihilated when we find our identity in Jesus. And it's right here on display in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33. We read, Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease, what? Without dread of disaster. This kind of fear is gone this is a great gift when we begin to walk with god this dissipates we have no dread that it's all going to come pouring down on us and lead to destruction and brokenness and utter turmoil but there's another kind of fear that's right here in proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. and it has this idea of awe not uh but awe like it's when you think about the distinction this is respect for creator god and his good designed boundaries such that if you cross them, they will crush you. They will crush you. It's an understanding of who God is, that he is God and I am not, and that he's designed the world with a certain framework that if we actually cross those boundaries, it's going to lead to brokenness. We understand this in physical laws, and we're very clear about it because it costs us nothing really in our lives. You know, like if you jump off of a building or you go to that cliff and you jump off, gravity, whether you agree with it or not, is going to take you down. And you're not going to walk away unscathed. Nobody in here is Superman or Wonder Woman, right? And yet when we come to moral laws, we think we can cross those boundaries and do so very brashly and come out emotionally, physically unscathed. And what awe This fear of the Lord, Yare in Hebrew, actually goes to promote is that no, 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 no. God is creator. And he's made all of this with a very specific framework in mind. And it's behind all of this. And when you tap into how and why he's designed the world he's made it to be, then when you tap into that and you walk with him, he shows you the contours of this world. So you're not scraping up your knees either on the physical laws or the moral laws or the broader contours of life. One of the most helpful ways to decipher between these two kinds of fear, dread and awe, is a helpful little question I like to ask. Look, who is defining knowledge? That's one of the most helpful ways to decipher as to what kind of fear you're having. Who is defining knowledge? Right here in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge now throughout the wisdom literature knowledge and wisdom are interconnected one to each other okay they have a lot going on together and if we understand what this word knowledge is we need to go back to the beginning when it was first used the first time this word is used is in the garden of eden god creates the first human couple and he says look all of this i mean there are just endless possibilities of which you can eat but there's just just one tree just one just just one. It's the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it or it's going to kill you. Now, if you start debating as to whether it's apples or oranges, you've missed the point of the tree, all right? That's not the point. What we have here is a paradigm for humanity that every human person is kind of in this, this position, this crucial choice. Who defines knowledge in your life? Who defines... What is right, what is good, what is beautiful? What is wise? And what is ugly, what is broken, what is death? What is sin? What is wrong? Who defines it? Is it God when he says, "Look, look, look, don't touch this. It's, you're going to die if you do it." Or And if you respect those boundaries, you're living in awe. Creator God. He's designed good boundaries for my good. I'm going to live in light of those. You're God. I'm not. I'm trusting you on this case. That's all. Dread is saying, you know what? I think I know how to define good and evil a little bit better than you do. I think I know what's wise and what's not in my life a little bit better than you do. And so I'm going to eat. And then you find yourself run aground against the moral topography and the broader landscape of the world. And listen, do they die right away? No. Sometimes the repercussions of foolishness and dread take months, years, decades to play out. But the key defining marker between those who are wise and those who are foolish all comes down to who defines knowledge for you. And your response is either awe or it will be dread. So where do we start our restart? We start with wisdom. And it's more than just information. It's more than just morality, although it includes both of those components. It's actually the skillful art of living in God's world. And it's not just about memorizing some formulas such that you can get a couple little nuggets of truth and go on your way. No, it's much more about a who than it has ever been about a series of what's. And it begins with this posture of appropriate fear, a respect for who God is and who we are, His creatures. So how do we lean into this posture? And I want to get real practical towards the end here as it sets us up for the remainder of the seven-week journey through the book of Proverbs. Today is kind of a bit of an overview, and then we're going to get even more focused these next six weeks. And here's the first step. If you really want to start leaning into this, this posture, then stop pretending you have this. Stop pretending you got it all together. Stop pretending like you've got all the answers. Go back to that question we asked at the very beginning. Is your life where you'd hoped it'd be today? If not, why not? Was it because you were listening to someone? And maybe that someone was yourself at the expense of every other voice. Maybe it's time to listen to someone wiser, someone better, and I'm not... (laughs) I'm not talking about anybody other than let's listen to what God has to say in his word. Which leads me to the second step. Not just stop, you know, pretending that you've got this. But secondly, start reading Proverbs every day. Start reading Proverbs every day. And it's as simple as just reading half a chapter a day. I got some wise advice earlier this week. Read read half a chapter. Read half a chapter a day. Just circle one proverb that stands out to you. Maybe you have a journal and you write down why that proverb stood out to you, how it's intersecting with what's going on in your life, and maybe even write out what you would share with someone if they were to ask you what you're learning in God's Word. And then keep this journal through these seven weeks so you kind of have this journey through the book of Proverbs and the wisdom that you're accumulating as you're walking with God in His Word. If we want to walk with Him, we have to be listening to Him and He's spoken in His Word. So start reading Proverbs every day, and then thirdly... Give God precedence in every aspect of your life. Let his voice be the loudest. There there are going to be times when we're going through Proverbs and what God has to say out of his His wisdom behind everything is going to chafe against what you thought, what you thought was common wisdom, what you deeply want. And instead, here's, here's the challenge over these next seven weeks while we're reading through Proverbs together and journeying. When you come to those rubs, Say yes, not but. Awe has this unequivocal yes. You're God, I'm not. I may not understand it all. I may not be able to decipher, okay, how it's all going to work out at the end, but you're, you're God, so yes, what you say, yes, not but. And I hear this with my kids all the time. But dad, you know, like, but, but I thought, but, but that's not what I was wanting. That's, but, but, and don't say but. But. <laughs> That's also what I say to my kids, don't say but, you know, Um, (laughs) for a lot of reasons. Uh, Instead, say yes. When you're reading God's word, when you're walking through Proverbs, say yes. Just start there. Don't start with but. Don't start with the pushback. Just lean all in. That's what awe would do, or it will lead to dread. So where do we start? We start with wisdom. More than just information, more than just morality, it's actually the skillful art of living in God's world. And it's not just formulas, it's about a who, way more than a series of what's, and it starts with this posture of fear, the appropriate fear, not dread, but awe. When we're found in Jesus and we're following Jesus and we come to lean into this wisdom and we stop pretending we've got it all together, we start reading Proverbs and we let God's wisdom be the primary voice that guides our lives, even when it chafes against our own conscience. Because if you want to get better, if you want to grow, you have to let somebody tell you you're not there yet. And you got to be able to give them authority to guide you on the way. And listen, the longer you walk down this journey of wisdom, you're going to look up and you're not going to just see Solomon there in front of you, whose name, you know, this king whose name means peace. But you're going to look up and you're going to find that you're following the Prince of Peace, Jesus. The one who superseded Solomon, who is the embodiment of wisdom, who beckons us to now come and learn from him, to hear and to now say to him yes and everything because he longs to give us this abundant life, the life and life abundant that he's promised us in the Gospels. This is what we find when we walk the path of wisdom. It's not without pain. It's not without difficulty, but it's better. Is your life where you'd hope to be today? Why don't you start by saying yes to Jesus, to the one who holds everything. Let's pray. God, thanks that your word through various books in the Bible give us unique nuances and what it means to follow you and to know you and to be known by you. May in all of this, God, may we as your people as we long and ache for wisdom, as we hold to the promise in James, may you grant us wisdom. May we stop. God, may your Holy Spirit convict us of our arrogance, and may we stop acting like we've got it all together. But instead, may we come with this posture of awe before your word as you speak to us still. And may we then submit to your wisdom and so learn the contours of your world and the way you've designed it to work. We can't do this without you. We can't do it without your Holy Spirit. And so we say thank you that you're willing to share and you long for our good. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen.